Do you love four-letter words? Who doesn't? And then you mix recruiting news and insights in with those four-letter words. I'm Cheese. And I'm Chad. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. We We out. out. You miss me? (laughs) I know. The last two episodes have been a lot of interviews. So, I mean, it's not like I'm gone. I've been there. It just hasn't been quite so much you know, me, which apparently is a good thing. So we're going to dive right back in the old format, the old monologue, and this time I'm going to help you get a job. What? Yes, that's true. Look, let's be fair. It's terrifying out there. COVID is, uh, well, gosh, (laughs) what hasn't it changed? I know too many people, too, too, too many people who have lost their job or changed their job or are looking to change their job and they're having some problems. And As it so happens, the last couple of months, I've helped a lot of people, friends, connections, what have you, with their resume. And I think, you know what? Hey, I've done this so many times and so it's been fairly useful, I think. It's helped people get jobs. Why not just put it all down here in, well, maybe not paper or black and white, but certainly podcasty and ones and zeros, right? Waveforms of some sort. And let you, if you're in that kind of model, let you know what I know about resumes. Take it or leave it, grain of salt it all you want, but here is some very different thinking on resumes, which has served me pretty well, and frankly, it served a lot of my friends pretty well. So with that, we're gonna talk about resumes when we get back. Welcome to the TalentCast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis, and I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing, I love how it's changing, And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing? James Ellis here recording live from Chicago. The housekeeping is a little more complicated today or this week or this time or this episode or what have you, right? Podcasts are complicated. So many of you binge and bless you for it. Uh, The basics are, I got a book, you should read it. I got another book, you should read that. You don't know what they are? Well, gosh, let me tell you, it is Talent Chooses You. That is the big book of strategy and, and just the big book, right? It's the big employer brand book. I tried to dump everything I thought I knew about employer brand into one 300 page epic tome, well, maybe not epic, it's just, but it's still a bit of a tome. It's it's a good it's a good hefty size. If you dropped it on a bug, bug it'd be dead. Uh, so it, it, it's hefty. It's got some size to it. It's got some work in it. And I asked a lot of great people. A lot of my friends are involved in it. So it's not just me. And lots of good wisdom in there. So enjoy that. If you are looking for more tactical stuff, you want more. I don't know, walkthroughs and step-by-step stuff, go to get the, go to Amazon and get the Employer Brand Handbook Volume 1, Working with Recruiters. There is a Volume 2 in process. It was supposed to drop in two weeks. Spoiler, it is not. (laughs) The draft is simply not ready, and I'm not going to give it away and hand it out to people until it's actually ready. So I have to go into Amazon and push back the, the actual publication date. So if you were excited by that, I apologize. Life just gets in the way, and I think I've got a great COVID, exam- COVID excuse for that. So there you go. Good to know. Otherwise, I'm changing the format of things. So 
you know, as you've noticed the last two episodes, thank you, Chiru and, and, and Holland, for being such good guests and being such good friends of mine to just prattle on and you know, let me prattle on and you be smart on this podcast. And it's gone so well, it's made me start thinking that it may be time for a change. Now, I'm not going to do the same kind of podcast you get everywhere else where it's one person asking questions and one person answering. We're going to do a little differently. On top of that, I'm not going to do it every week because frankly, did you did you hear the part about me having to delay my book? <laughs> I am up to my eyeballs in stuff to do, not to mention I have a new day job, which is complicating things, right? So I got to get that up and running. If you haven't seen it, go to LinkedIn. I'm not hiding it, but you know, hey, it's, that's not what this is about. Uh, so I've got to make some changes in this stuff. So what I've decided to do is make the podcast less about me and less about the sound of my voice, but at the same time, different, unusual, interesting, unique, you know, the kind of stuff, hopefully, you've learned to expect from me. If you want a sense of what I'm trying to do, if you've ever heard the Dana Gould Hour, uh, he is one of my favorite comedians and he has my absolute all-time favorite podcast. Sorry, Jasmine Bina, your podcast is amazing and I, I am blown away by it every week, but you know, Dana's been doing this for four or five years, so he's got the edge on you there. It is a great, complicated podcast. His podcasts can run two and three hours long, if you can believe that. I hope mine will not, but you'll get a sense of what I'm trying to do. If you've heard his podcast, you'll get a sense of what's in my head, and there you go. So I am going to try and run this about once a month. So I'm going to send deliver one beefier, meatier, more voices kind of episode a little less often. That said, it's a good time for me to mention if you would like to reach more employer brand professionals and the people who love them and you would like to sponsor this podcast, you need to hit me up. I work, uh, this podcast is happening through the Evergreen Network and they have been kind enough to uh, connect me with bigger audiences and my job is to occasionally say things like this. If you are looking to talk to great, smart, actively thinking employer brand people, recruitment marketing people, talent acquisition people of the more modern variety, this is a great place to do it. We stick ads either on the front or the back and or even in the middle. We can do that too as it's going to be a longer podcast and you can sponsor that episode. If you'd like details, hit me up or you know what? You know who, who else you can hit up? Hit up Chad. Chad Sowash. He's uh, the reason I'm on this network and he's in charge of this particular little project. So go bug him. Honestly, he can put together a package deal where you can sponsor me and uh, Chad and Cheese and a couple of other great podcasts in this kind of vein. So just putting that out there. And thus, we end the housekeeping. And let's get into the meat of the matter for this final episode in this current format of me talking to a microphone all by myself. No, I'm not going to sing. I told, I promised everybody I wouldn't sing. So I want to tell a little story. I, I may have told pieces of this before, uh, but I don't know that I've told the whole thing. And if I have, it doesn't matter. It's completely applicable. So many, many years ago, I had someone who worked for me was leaving. She was going to, um, she's going back to school. Hey, Tori, how you doing? You don't listen to podcasts, but how you doing? Uh, she, you know, she was, she was young. She's incredibly smart, incredibly driven, and she was going back to portfolio school, which has served her very well. She's been very, very successful in the advertising marketing space. One of the things I asked her to do on her way out the door was help me hire her replacement. 
And how do I do that? Well, we put the, put the ad out in the world, right, into the internet, and about a bajillion people applied, right? It's relative, it was an entry-level job, to be perfectly blunt. It was fairly new. We needed someone to do footwork, legwork kind of stuff. We knew we didn't expect to be able to pay them a huge sum of cash. It was a small, it, small, it was a teeny agency, no brand awareness whatsoever. And we knew we weren't going to hire somebody amazing necessarily because that we had a sack of cash to hand them. So we wanted to hire someone we could grow and groom. And that was kind of the, the value proposition for that position. So consequently, we got pretty much everybody in their you know, best friend applied for this job who just graduated college. And so for a minute, I was walking around with a complete graduating class of marketing schools uh, <laughs> and many other schools in my pocket. Anyway, so I handed this epic stack, this tree-killing stack of resumes to Tori. I said, Tori, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you the most valuable lesson as a professional you can get. And she looked at me like, oh God, what's he going to say? Because to be fair, when someone like that says something like that to you, you got to either roll your eyes or kind of cringe or maybe hold your wallet. I don't know. And I said, here, kaboom, a little stack of, stack of resumes land on her, on her desk. I said, I want you to go through this stack of resumes. I want you to tell me who I should talk to and who I shouldn't talk to. And she's like, uh, okay. And then she had a million questions. And I said, I don't know, to pretty much every answer. I didn't say what I was looking for. I simply saying, I'm hiring another you. So you look at these resumes and say, is this the person who could do this job? Simply, and that's, that's all the instructions I gave her. The next day she comes into work and she was just, I mean, I can't even describe it. She was just like, that was insane. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, Every resume was exactly the same. You gave me 150-some resumes, and every resume was almost exactly the same. And I'm starting to giggle now because she's getting it. I said, everyone? She goes, well, no. There were like a couple I pulled out that were actually pretty good. I said, how did you sort them? I said, well, I have an A pile and a B pile and a C pile. And the C pile were kind of like the... I can't even envision how this person would work for the job or you know how it would connect or how it would work, so don't even bother. They get the thanks but no thanks letter immediately. The B pile are like, yeah, I guess they could do the job if you squint real hard and if they got some training and they got some good managerial support, maybe they could or maybe they were long shots or maybe they had some of the skills but not all the skills. And then she had the A pile and she's like, these are the people I would talk to immediately. And in that pile were like five people. <laughs> I said, okay, time out. How... Did you take a pile of 150 resumes and boil them down to the only five people I should talk to? She goes, well, I skimmed them. I mean, well, first you read them because you just, that's what you think you're supposed to do. And she's reading them and she would sort them. And then she started to get real fast at it because she started to hear the same phrases over and over. And let's be fair. These are entry level resumes, right? There's, there's not years of experience to sort through. The people who we liked were people who had something else, had something special. They didn't say the exact same jobs over and over again. They didn't say the exact same words over and over again. What she was doing is she was looking for somebody who knew enough to just say something of meaning, say something of importance. And I said, that's the most important lesson, and that is how to get the next job. And the lesson you should be learning and the lesson you should be taking from this idea is that for the most part, and frankly, if you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, if that's a thing, or Borders, I think Borders is long gone, or whatever your favorite bookstore is, and you go, there's a section of that bookstore, virtual or physical, does not matter, called resumes. And in every one of those books, and there are many, many, many books on resumes, 
They all say the same thing. They all say, okay, it should probably be about two pages, no more than two pages. It should probably be well written so that you can legibly read it. The hardest part of any resume book is how many times can you say, check your spelling to fill out a book. I mean, because that seems to be the epic lesson of most of these books. Most of them have lists of, I don't know, power words or power phrases or things you could say that make you sound powerful, I guess. I don't know. And the trick is everybody reads these books. Every recruiter, every job seeker, every hiring manager, we read these books as if Moses came down and said, here, this is how you write a resume. I put it in stone. Mazel tov, right? Boom. That's that stone hitting the ground. That's my sound effects here. You know the budget here is amazing. There's no post-production to speak of. Anyway, anyway, every resume is the same because we are all given the same quote-unquote rules. Now, who made up those rules? Nobody. Nobody made up those rules. Nobody. There's no name next to any of those things. There's no name that says it should be two pages. There's no name that says it should be these kinds of fonts. There's no name that says you've got to put your name at the top. There's no name that says this is the rule that does this. There's no Bill Clinton, George Bush, Barack Obama rule, right? There's no they do this thing. No one made the rule. It just kind of happened. And why did it happen? Because recruiters tended to consider resumes that were easy for them to absorb first. Makes sense, right? If I'm trying to feed a kid food, you give it food it likes to eat. And if you want it to eat broccoli, you mix it in with stuff it wants to eat, right? You make it absorbable. You make it palatable. You make it enjoyable. So you make a resume that you're like, okay, here are the facts that you think you want. I'm putting those up front. My name, where I live. Am I in the city that you can hire me from? Great. Here are the workplaces I worked. Great. Because that's apparently what recruiters think that they care about, right? Where did you work last? What was your last job? Isn't that always the first question they ask or the first thing they think about? Which is crazy. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But functionally, the world of recruiting has told us that these are rules, two pages, fonts, formats, margins, bullet points, no bullet points. And there's not rhyme or reason to it other than recruiters told us to. And let's be fair, when the phrase recruiters told us to, it's right up there with, that's what they tell us. That's what they say. Who's the they? Right? Recruiters got the same rules we did, not because they made them, but because they got handed by other recruiters. So here is the first lesson on writing a better resume. Now, this is not specific to employer brand, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's a lesson that employer brand can leverage better than almost anybody else. And here's the lesson. Your resume is a marketing document. I'm going to pause for emphasis here. In fact, I'll say it again. Your resume is a marketing document. Think about the last thing you bought that had any marketing associated with it. It was a computer. It was a TV. It was a car. It was a pair of shoes. It was a pair of headphones. I don't know what you bought. A phone. You had a thing. Let's say it's a phone because I'm staring and looking at my phone. It's right there. Let's say... It's your phone. And last time you, you bought, a, you bought a, a phone, you thought, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna download all the specs, the technical specs of what that phone can do. What is the exact dimensions of the screen down to the mil, tenth of a millimeter? What are the exact number of pixels on the screen? How many colors can each pixel produce? How heavy is it? How wide is it? How tall is it? How many different sound effects? How many different speakers? Does it work in Dolby uh, stereo sound or just simple stereo sound, right? Which operating system does it run? How much battery life does it have? 
How many Bluetooth headsets can you pair at one time? These are all details. These are, in fact, what someone might refer to as facts. How many of you did that when you bought a phone? Probably none of you, or at least not at the beginning. Maybe you got interested in the phone and you decided, I'm going to see this, the actual technical specs, or I'm going to compare two phones. I can't decide between this phone and that phone, so I'm going to go make a list of all the facts about those phones so I can make a better, more informed choice, right? But I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is the moment that happened before that moment that made you say, oh man, I got to get a phone. Oh man, I want a phone. Oof, that's a nice phone. Where'd you get that phone? What kind of phone is that? Oh, does it do this? Does it do that? Oh man, I think I need that phone. That is marketing. The commercial that Apple does, the commercials that Google do, the commercials that the ads that Huawei and all the other, you know, OnePlus and, and all the, pe- the Pixel phones, all that stuff, that's marketing. They're there to get you to get excited about a thing, about a concept. And that is a new phone. And not just a phone, right? The reason people bought a Pixel for a couple of years is because it had the best camera of all phones. And for people for whom cameras are the most important thing, they tended to be more inclined to buy the Pixel phone. For people who wanted to use it for work, for a long time it had to be BlackBerry. Remember Blackberries? I know, right? And now it's a blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter, right? They start by getting a marketing message as to why you should buy this thing. And once convinced that they should consider buying a thing, that is when you go to facts. That is simply how human beings work. That's what we do. Oh, I want a car. Now I'm going to look for cars. Now I'm going to do comparison shopping of cars, prices and features and colors and all that good stuff. But it starts not with the facts, not with the features, but with the desire. Thus, a good resume creates desire. Well, what the hell does that mean? Because isn't the fact, you know, and look at, think of every resume you've ever seen in your life, especially the ones that start with an objective, which is nuts. Because no, there's no such thing as a good objective. You know what the objective of a resume is? To get the phone call. And some people even say to find a new job, to which you say, yeah, I know. You know how I know? Because you wrote a resume. Because <laughs> nobody writes a resume for fun. Even wackos like me who love resumes, I still don't write resumes for fun. When I'm writing a resume, it's because I have an objective of finding a job. It's just a given. So resumes that think about that stuff, that's not a marketing document. That's a, that's a disclaimer you put at the top of a fact sheet. Why am I giving you these faxes? So I can do this thing. Okay, great. Who cares? So once you really get into this idea that the resume is a marketing document, a number of other things become true. First, your resume, and I look left and I look right to see if there are any HR or lawyers in the house, because I know they're going to hate what I'm about to say, but it's true. The resume is not a legal document. It does not have to be comprehensive. You do not have to show the job or every job or every place you went to school or every task you completed. It is not a CV. It is not your permanent record. It's a marketing document. A friend of mine, hey Mike, how you doing? He moved jobs and he got a great gig at a hotel chain. He's thrilled. He's thrilled. He's worked his whole life to get moved into this space. It's exactly where he wanted to be. It was a fantastic opportunity. The problem, of course, was that it was February of 2020. 
And five weeks later, six weeks later, he got laid off through no fault of his own because COVID hit and suddenly no one's going to a hotel, right? It wasn't his fault and everybody knows that. And so he wondered, do I even put the hotel, this major hotel chain brand on my resume? Because I was only there for five or six weeks and it looks like I suck. And I said, no. First off, here's the deal. One, everybody sees that and says, oh yeah, COVID, got it, I understand. No one's gonna fault you. In fact, putting that job on that resume suggests that another brand liked you so much they hired you. That's social proof, that's great. It just worked out that you know a major pandemic hit and suddenly they had to close all their hotels. <laughs> suddenly you're screwed. Now what if that one five week job wasn't about COVID and uh, getting laid off, but happened two years ago when someone said, I was told it would be like this. I was told it would be a certain way. I showed up, it was exactly the opposite. I was clearly lied to by both the recruiter and the hire manager and I left immediately. And I was only at that job for six weeks. I'm gonna look like a job hopper. To which I say, why would you list it at all? There's nothing legally binding saying you have to show your exact last jobs. There's nothing to say. I'd rather show five weeks of unemployment and hanging around the house and trying to having a sabbatical or looking for the next job or considering my future opportunities than a job that if it doesn't serve me lists and shows for five weeks of work now if it's a brand i love or a brand i think is impressive i might consider that and i might rewrite and reframe the whole idea but that's the idea you get to make choices there is no format there is no rules there is no said you know you can say what you want now, the fact that you can say what you want does not mean you can say anything or should say everything. Every, like every good piece of marketing, there should be an objective to the, the thing the marketing is supposed to get done, whether it's supposed to make you feel something, whether it's supposed to make you take action, whatever it is, you define it ahead of time. You don't make a commercial and say, hey, we bought 30 seconds of commercial time, what should we say? No, that's how bad marketing works. What you do is say, I need to convince people who like football that my beer is more delicious than their beer so we bought a commercial there was an objective i need to make people think and feel this thing and thus i made the marketing document so if you are building a resume and you don't actually know what you want the reader in this case a recruiter almost always a recruiter to think or feel stop what you're doing your resume isn't working how do I know your resume isn't working? Here, let me give you a hint. Go to Google. Hey Google, you don't listen to this podcast either, but hey, how you doing? And I want you to type in your job title and the word resume. And then I want you to hit search, and before you even look at anything, click images. And I want you to look at 20 different resumes for your job. And what you will more than likely find is they all look the damn same. They're all gray, they all are all big blocks of text with as little margin as humanly possible. They are just shoehorning in as many words, as many power words as they can stick into a front page as humanly possible. And consequently, they all look the same. This is who you're competing against. And if your resume looks like this, why on earth would anyone pick you? If you look the same and sound the same, you have exactly the same chances as anybody else. Actually, that's not true because the one person who stands out has better chances than you do. So let's talk about standing out, because <laughs> it is a subject I hold dear, you may guess, you may be surprised to learn. How do you stand out in a resume? Well, first off, there are a couple of simple ways. The first is, use some damn color. 
We ain't printing resumes anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. It wasn't just because of virtual, because a couple years ago, we just stopped printing resumes. We just emailed documents to each other, PDFs or Word documents or whatever, right? So use some color. Put a little splash into it. For my own resume work, I have one extra color. It's a great color I like. It's attractive. It's bright. It's eye-catching. I use it very judiciously. It's only here and there, but it's enough to kind of give it a little panache, a little pop, a little sizzle, a little, oh, that's interesting. That's different. It's not the wall of gray that you see in other resumes. Two, learn to love your white space. Now, if we take it for granted that resumes should be no more than two pages, unless your name is, I don't know, Steve Jobs, Steve Wozniak, uh, Oprah, Oprah can have more than two pages. She's got a lot of awards to list. Though frankly, and I've used, and this is a true story, I once did an exercise with resumes, with my own resume, where I said, I wonder what Oprah's resume would look like. And, and the, ask, the, the question was, if I was, if I wanted to be perceived as the obvious expert, how would I do that? Would I do it by making a resume that looked like everybody else's? No. Who do I know that's an obvious expert? Well, Oprah is a good one. That's a good one. Um, Barack Obama is another good one. Obviously an expert. What would their resume look like? And the truth is the resume would be very simple. It wouldn't be three pages or four pages. It would probably be one. It would just say, I'm Oprah. Now that's pushing the limit of standing <laughs> out in the crowd, right? Dead center in the middle. I can see the typeface for Oprah. She uses the same O she uses in the, in the, in the, the, the cover of the, the logo of her magazine, the O magazine. I can see that that's exactly what she would do. She wouldn't even do it big. She'd still do it like 12-point font, right? Dead center of the piece of paper to say, I'm Oprah. That's, that's all you need to know. I'm Oprah. That's, and I thought, that's, of course, that's exactly the kind of resume someone who is obviously famous is. It's not jam-packed with stuff. It's simple. It's direct. And all, all it's trying to do is tell me, this is why you should pick me. This is how I'm different. Now, in Oprah's case, when she has TV shows and awards and movies and magazines and charities and, you know, let's be fair, her Wikipedia page is longer than my arm. Yeah, all she has to say is I'm Oprah. Okay, so I'm not Oprah. And I'm not Bill Gates and I'm not Barack Obama. But if I want to be perceived as being the expert at something, the answer is not to look like every entry level or look like everybody else, but to stand out and say, look, the other stuff doesn't matter. Here's what matters. And so if we're going to think about resumes as being two pages long, chances are you have some room. If you're being judicious about the stories you're telling and the experience you show, again, you can pick and choose. You do not have to put every job, every school, every activity. You don't have to put it. You don't. Ha asterisk, by the way, don't put your references. Don't do that. Don't put an objective. Don't do that. We'll talk. I don't think you even have to explain why, but just don't. Just don't, okay? Podcast long enough as it is. So if you've got two pages and you're being judicious about the stories you tell, turns out you have this secondary gift, and that is white space. Give your words, your ideas, some room. Most resumes are so filled and packed with words. You've, and I, we've all done it. We've all thought, can I shrink it to 10-point font to get more words in there? Can I do that? Can I make the margins less than half an inch on each side? Is that too much? Yes, the answer is yes, that's way too much. If you have to use so many words to say who you are and what you do, you are doing something wrong. And the wrong is not the number of pages. The wrong is not the font size. The wrong is not the margin size. The wrong is that you're not concise enough. 
you're not getting to the point. You're not figuring out the thing you say that makes people go, oh, I know who that is. When I used to hire people, the, the first thing I do is when I look at resumes, I would say, what kind of person is this? Oh, this person's an ad person. Oh, this person's a marketing person. Oh, this person's a writer. This person's a designer. And I would just skim the resume looking for words that would say, oh, this person's a blank. Right? If you're hiring content marketers, for example, as I was, content marketers can come in all sorts of different varieties and shapes and sizes, all sorts of different titles. So the fact that they had these titles didn't inform me much. What I had to do was kind of say, oh, this person's more on the design side. I don't need that. Or this person's more of a writer side. I do need that. I'm trying to put you into a bucket I understand. And whether recruiters know it or not, that's exactly what they are doing too. You've seen the, the statistics that say recruiters only spend six seconds uh, reading your resume or an average of 30 seconds reading your resume, except it turns out that's not quite true because that's an average. What they do is they spend about six seconds skimming your resume to figure out what bucket do I put this person in because only one bucket is useful. And if you're not in the right bucket, you never get looked at again. So what you need to do is be crystal clear of who you are. The game is not to figure out how to wiggle your way into the right bucket. The game is to make yourself so stupidly, patently obvious who you are. I'm Oprah. I'm Barack. I'm Bill Gates. Whatever it is. I'm Steve Jobs. Whatever it is, make it clear. How do you do that? Okay, here's how I do it. And you, your process may vary, but let me tell you, my, let me walk you through my thinking on the way I do it. When I do it, in that place where most people have an objective, which we've already told you to get rid of, what I have is what I call a headline or a punchline. I think mine is like eight words, maybe 10. I don't remember off the top of my head. It doesn't really matter. What it is, is in one line, not a sentence, because we all know we can jam in whole novels into most sentences if we're creative about our punctuation, but one line, say who I am and to whom I'm valuable. Now, if we were to go to David C. Baker and the business of expertise, to whom I adore, of whom I adore, and who also does not listen to this podcast. Hey, David, how you doing? He would say, if you are positioning yourself, ooh, there's a phrase you employer branders should know very well in positioning, you should position yourself simply. I do this, I help these people do this for this purpose, right? It's kind of a simple formula. I'm an, I help startups understand their employer brand to hire better. You put that, and that's dead simple. That is dead simple. If you put that at the top of your resume, the recruiter looks at it immediately and goes, I get who you are. I immediately get who you are. And the amount of goodwill you get by making it crystal clear to the recruiter that, you know, that they can know who you are without having to guess or judge or, or use any kind of cognitive load to kind of figure out who the heck you are gets you great goodwill. So if you're in the bubble, they're going to be so thrilled to say, you know, this person gets it. They're making my life easier. I'm going to put them in the, in the bucket. Now, with that line, you don't have to be dead simple. You don't have to be patently obvious. You can be more creative. You can be fantastically creative, in fact. You can really push the envelope. What you're trying to do is something called setting a frame. If you've read my book, you know, Talent Chooses You, you know I'm a big fan of frames. I think frames is the unspoken magic wand of most employer brands, and that is this idea, right, is that if you tell people what to look for, they will see it when they see it. So for example, again, it's a reference I've made before, 
if I tell you that the movie Airplane is a love story, you will look for the love story. You might think, oh, it's also pretty funny, but you'll say that's clearly a love story. Someone told you it's a love story, so you look for the love story, you absorb the love story part, that's what it is. If I told you it was a disaster movie, you'd look for the disaster movie because it's right there. It don't have anywhere to find it. It's oh, it's kind of goofy for a disaster movie. That's kind of strange. I don't know what that blow up autopilot was. That was weird, but it's a disaster movie. The frame tells you what to look for. So in that spot, I want you to tell the recruiter and the hire manager what to look for. What is your superpower? Now, even among employer branding people, there are many varieties of superpower. My personal superpower is kind of strategic. I think it's a little more on the strategic side. Some people's superpower are pure creative. Some people's superpower is the ability to get consensus. These are superpowers I don't have. And consequently, I kind of respect and hate them because I'm like, well, why isn't, why isn't my superpower enough? But that's a separate conversation. We don't have to get into that. But what is your superpower? Is it content creation? Is it aligning HR and marketing? Is it getting recruiters to, to line up and get something done? What is your superpower? And if you can bake your superpower into that headline or punchline, what the recruiter does is immediately go, okay, I know what bucket this goes into. And then they read the rest of your resume and what their, their brain automatically does. They don't even mean to do it. They don't have to mean to do it. This is how brains work. They just listen and look for proof points to that claim. So if you say you're, an, you're the most amazing creative employer brand person ever, first off, if you do that on a black and white resume, um, no. <laughs> you can't tell me you're creative and then not be creative. If you're going to say creative, prove to me you're creative. But at the same time, show me how you've created things. Show me what what content pieces you've created. Show me how you got creative with a budget. Show me how you got creative with a, uh, a hiring manager or a business lead who didn't believe in employer branding. Show me how you're creative. And the more the recruiter and the hiring manager see proof points that support your claim, the more authentic and believable you can get. Now, gosh, if this doesn't sound like employer branding, I don't know what does. Making a claim, providing proof points, right? It's what we're doing every day. Why not do it for yourself? You should. Now, what else do you need to know? If your punchline, your headline is crystal clear, what I would love for you to do is get out. Again, there's no rules. There's no rules. There's no rules. You do not immediately have to list all the jobs you've worked at. My own resume, it doesn't say where I've worked till page two. What's on page one then? Great question. Accomplishments, things I've done, things I've achieved, things I've built, results. I want to say, if this is the claim I'm making, let me now prove the claim so that when the recruiter gets to the end of that page one, they go, well, gosh, if this claim is what we need, there's nobody better at this thing we think we need. The second page is just the junk that the scanners are going to find job titles, schools I went to, skills I'm listed for, um, you know, the junk, the stuff that's the data and the facts, the, the technical specs of my career are on page two. I mean, there's still plenty of, of ATSs and, and co companies that live and breathe by the, the keyword search, right? They scan every resume in or they parse it out and they say, okay, I need someone with these 12 skills and they go do it. And that's the place you want to go keyword stuffing. Go nuts. 
doesn't matter. It's page two. Nobody cares. Page one is your marketing document. Be a marketer because you are. So what are you marketing? Yeah, you're marketing you, but it's not just that. What you're really marketing, much like so much of the employer brand work we do, again, this is why we get the chance to do great work. This is why the resume thing should not be such a, a conundrum, and yet somehow it is. We get the chance to market the outcome, a future. Because when a company says they want to hire a writer, or the company says they want to hire an employer brand or a recruiter or whatever it is, data scientist, a nurse, a lawyer, baker, chief, candlestick maker, who cares? They're saying they need a drill bit. But what they really need, to go back to Uncle Seth Godin, is a, is a hole in the wall. But what they really, really need is the satisfaction of knowing the job got done. They say, you, you know, you walk into a hardware store saying, I need a quarter inch drill bit. And the salesperson says, okay, I'm going to get you the best quarter inch drill bit. And the, can't, the truth is you don't actually want to buy a, a, a drill bit. What you want to buy is a quarter inch hole to put a, a pilot in, put a screw in so you can hack a mirror. Right? That's what you really want. But to you, you've decided for the hardware store and for ease of use that the way you make that happen is a quarter inch drill bit. Same thing with jobs. What the company needs is to attract more talent, to extend its reach in the talent space, to open new offices in places it has no consumer reach. It has an employer brand problem. You are going to solve it. Show them how you solve similar problems. Show them how you've solved employer brand problems. And this is great for people who have not been the owners of employer brand in the past, that this is their first time you know, applying for a manager or you know, owner or head of employer brand. They've been a specialist, they've been a writer, they've been a content writer, or they're coming from other roles like comms or marketing or whatever, right? Recruiting. This is a great way to say, I'm gonna make a claim that I'm an employer brand expert, even though it's never been in my title or I've never owned one. And let me show you all the ways I'm solving the problems you are might be having because I've solved them other places. You don't have to say, I solved it, but I was an internal comms person, so it didn't look like that or it wasn't called that, so it may not count because that really waters down the claims you're making. But if you say, I do this thing, and then you say, I built you know, extended employer advo employee advocacy to 4,000 people, and we got you know, a, a fourth bajillion inc percent increase in the amount of social engagement because of that, well, who cares what team you were on when you did it? You clearly know how to get employees engaged and, and turn them into advocates. Get paid, baby, get paid. That's what you're there for. So that's why I put all the details, the quote unquote facts on page two. And page one are proof points that the claim I'm making isn't just a claim, but it's real. I'm living it and I'm breathing it, okay? Now, this was a long podcast. And so thanks for hanging in there. But like I said, I really am just... I'm blown away by how great some of you are and the work you're doing and the fact that some of you are unemployed boggles my mind. And I know for a fact that the reason why some of you are unemployed is because it's not, you're not doing a great job making it obvious how flippin' fantastic you are in a resume. Why? Because you're trying to be everybody else. Your employer brands are designed to be different. Why are resumes not, why don't resumes follow suit? Why doesn't your career follow suit? You're different. The person who's amazing as a startup employer brander is going to be atrocious when it comes to being a Fortune 100 employer brander. Those are two very different skill sets. So what you have to do is make it crystal clear, this is the thing you do, and this is why you're amazing at it. Oh yeah, by the way, here's some facts about proving it. 
that's what you need to do. Because ultimately, and this is, I think, the last lesson of resumes, the problem with resumes is that people who do it wrong are under a common delusion. And that delusion is, if I write the right resume, I'm going to get a job. And that's not how it works. When you write the resume, your only thought, your only thought should be, will this make a recruiter go out loud, holy crap, I got to call this person immediately. If not, get rid of it. On the first page anyway. The job of a resume is to make a recruiter say, I got to call this person now. I got to snap them up now. I got to get on the phone to make sure they're not in a crazy, so they're not an alien, they're not being scammed. I got to find out now. This person's exactly who I want. I understand what they're about. I understand how they're special. I understand how they make magic happen. I got to call them now. That is the purpose of a resume. Once you get the recruiter on the phone, the purpose of the recruiter screen is to get the interview, right? The recruiter can't hire you. We know that, right? We know that our profession, but yet somehow we treat the job search as if the recruiter will hire us. That's not true. I can make recruiters, you know, I can charm the pants off of recruiters because recruiters get me and I get recruiters and we have a shared kind of sense of who we are and what they're trying to do. And I, you know, I can say, you know, talk about how I get their job and I, I, I can never do their job. And yeah, I love working with recruiters from that side, right? They get me and I get, and I get them, but they don't hire. And as much as they love me, as much as they would love for me to get the job, they have zero power in the equation. So the job of the phone screen is to get their interview. And the interview is where you meet the hiring managers and all the other people who have a vote. They're the people who are there not to get you the job, but to get you the offer. And the offer is there to get you the job. And if you try to leapfrog all those steps with a resume, you are going to write a crappy resume. Just how it is, just how it is, I'm sorry. The job of a resume is to get the, is get the phone call. That is all. Anything else, if you try to make the resume do more, you will ruin the resume, right? The, the job of a commercial is to make you go, ooh, I didn't know they had that. If you try and shoehorn secondary messages into the commercial, into the ad, into the banner, into the email, you water down the message that was most important to you. So don't do that. If there's anything in your resume that doesn't make the recruiter go, ooh, I gotta call them now, throw it out. Or find a way to stick it on that second page in eight point font where only the machines can read them. <laughs> it's not every rule, it's not hard and fast. I think, however, the lessons are clear. It's a marketing document, you should treat it as such. Its job is not to get you the job, the job is to get you the call. You can say what you want. It doesn't have to be comprehensive. It's not a technical spec. You can be judicious. You can tell a story. You can build a narrative based on that claim and frame that you make, that headline or whatever you want to call it, and all the proof points below it. That is what a resume is. Once you apply, go to the ATS and you have to put in the application, yeah, then I guess legally you probably have to put all those jobs that you skipped, but that's fine. That's not what they're going to look at anyway. They're going to look at the resume because that's the marketing document. Thanks so much for listening. I am super pumped you have joined me for 190 episodes. Oh my God, I talk a lot. Um, oh, you don't think I know I talk a lot? Oh, I know I talk a lot. I, I Trust me, I know. I am very, very excited for what the future of this podcast is as there are going to be some pretty significant changes afoot. I hope you enjoy it too. If you have any questions, if you have any concerns, if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, if you just want to call me and chat about employer brand, 
if you'd like me to look at your resume, maybe, I don't know, uh, find me. I'm online. I'm really easy to find. Give me a break, okay? Um, I'm super pumped. I thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for hanging in with me for 190 episodes. Let's do a whole bunch more, uh, and I'll talk to you next month. Gotta go. Bye. This has been an episode of The Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple of ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.